Welcome to Jumping Bomb Audio. Once again, to talk about Joshi Pro Wrestling, I'm Aaron Bentley. I'm joined by my co-host, Taylor Mainberg. What's up, Taylor? Hey, how's it going? It's uh, quite a time to be recording a podcast. Let me say that. That's right. We are in uh, self... Well, we're not in isolation. I don't think either of us is symptomatic at this point. But, you know, we're in quarantine. We are watching a lot of Joshi. I don't know. What are you doing to kind of pass the time, Taylor? I'm watching a lot of wrestling, as you mentioned, uh, watching a lot of movies that I've been p- putting off that have been building up uh, as I don't have time. And I usually prioritize watching wrestling first. Uh, but now I have plenty of time watching a lot of movies, been watching a lot of opera, actually. The Met Opera is putting up free operas on their website. So I've been checking those out because uh, I'm a fan of opera. I did not know that about you. I, mean, I knew you were a theater fan, but I didn't know you were an opera fan. Yeah, so I'm a th- I'm a theater person, and a, a few years back, I I got into opera. They're very similar, so it was sort of an easy, uh, easy hobby to gain. Well, you were talking about movies. We watched last night Uncut Gems. Have you seen it? I haven't seen Uncut Gems yet because I every year I watch all the films nominated for the Oscars. So I didn't see Uncut Gems initially, figuring it would be nominated. And then it was not nominated, so I I haven't seen it, but it's on my list uh, to watch. Okay, well, we can't talk about it then, but it's very good. That's all I was going to say. I've heard. I've heard only good things about it, which, you know, I really should get on it and watch it. You should. You should. We're going to talk about a lot of Joshi on this show, as we did on the first episode. Thanks, everyone, who listened to the first episode. We really appreciate it. Appreciated uh, the feedback that we got from some folks. Thanks for coming back for episode two. And if it's your first episode listening, welcome. We're going to talk on this episode about the Stardom Cinderella Tournament. We're going to be previewing that. We're going to talk about Ice Ribbons, Corquin shows from March 14th and February 24th. We've got an update. Well, we got the uh, the brackets for the Joshi Rookie Tournament we talked a little bit about last time. We're still going to run down in our Spark Notes section some smaller shows that we watched, give you our recommended matches since the last episode occurred. And talk about the shows that are coming up. So it's going to be jam-packed. Uh, before we get into it, I want to remind you to follow us on Twitter at JBombAudio. The, basically, the idea of the Twitter account is just going to be keeping the, the freshest news up there. You know, retweeting stuff. I think we'll probably have some takes occasionally. We haven't done much of that yet. Do uh, you have any other ideas of, of what we're going to do with the Twitter account, Taylor? No, I think you're about right. Adding the news, uh, just so people are, there's a lot of disparate sources for news in the Joshi world. Uh, it can be sometimes difficult to know if you're getting all the news that's happening uh, from any one source or multiple sources. So we're going to try and be that one-stop shop of getting you the big news of whatever's going on. And then, you know, as you mentioned, we didn't do it, but I'm sure one of us will probably hop on sooner rather than later uh, for some live thoughts as we watch through uh, some shows. Yes, maybe I will get up at 5.30 a.m. on Tuesday to watch 
the Cinderella tournament. It's highly unlikely that I'm going to do that, for the record. But follow us on Twitter anyway, J-Bomb Audio. You can find me at Aaron Like the Car. Taylor is at T-A-M-A-I-M-B-O. Make sure you're subscribing to the show so you get these episodes uh, every other week as soon as they come out. Give us a rating and review if you're using the Apple Podcast app. And if you are feeling, I don't know, generous during this quarantine time, you can go over to redcircle.com slash shows slash jumping dash bomb dash audio and give a donation. This is not a Patreon. You don't get anything for it. It just, you know, you'll feel a little better about yourself, perhaps. So I have noticed, Taylor, that one thing helping with the quarantine is I guess since Stardom hasn't been able to run many shows over the past couple of months, they've been spending a lot of time fixing their the, the back catalog that they lost at one point on Stardom World. Yeah, so like a lot of promotions during this time when they're not running a lot of shows, Stardom has been uploading some old shows of theirs, mainly uh, from 2016. Stardom World actually started out as a uh, paid YouTube channel back when that was uh, a possibility and, you know, companies could have people subscribe to their YouTube channel for a certain amount of money a month. Stardom did it. Uh, Nico also very briefly had a paid YouTube channel. And then Stardom moved to a different service and then actually, I think, moved again to a different streaming service. And so the back catalog of Stardom shows has not uh, been complete in Stardom World. It still isn't, although, as I said, they've uploaded quite a few shows from 2016. Um, I actually looked at all of those shows. I um, had just started the year before watching Stardom um, in 2016, so I have a few recommended matches if you've been seeing stardom uploading these shows but you don't know where to start or you don't want to go through all the shows every match i have a couple of suggestions they actually haven't uploaded a few other 2016 shows where i have a few other recommended matches if those end up getting uploaded i will retweet those on our twitter account and point out the really big matches Um, but i have three matches from 2016 that you should definitely check out the first one is from March 21st, 2016. It's a tag match, Thunder Rock, which is Io Shirai and Mayu Iwatani, their great tag team, against Kairi Hojo and Mako Satomura. Go and check that one out. Another Thunder Rock, great Thunder Rock match, is from April 2nd, 2016, almost four years to the day. Thunder Rock against Hiroyo Matsumoto and Kagetsu who just retired, so a chance to look back a bit on her career. And then the third one from 2016 is a singles match between the two members of Thunder Rock, Io Shirai versus Mayu Iwatani from Stardom Gold on May 15th, 2016. And if that doesn't quite uh, fill you up, also a 2017 recommendation, Tony Storm, now of NXT UK versus Io Shirai from the same Stardom Gold show in 2017. That was May 14th, 2017. So definitely check out those matches if you like them. Check out some of the other shows and keep your eyes peeled as they continue to hopefully fill out this back catalog. And hopefully one day we will have a complete back catalog of Stardom shows. I'm hoping that I don't know. It feels like there's a ton to talk about every week or every other week. But I'm hoping that one of these days we'll be able to talk about some old 
Joshi at some point. Older Joshi. I guess 2016 is not that long ago. But I hope we'll be able to dig into some of that on the show in the future. Yes, I do too. So hopefully that will be uh, that will be part of the future plans of this podcast. Well, as for modern stardom, on March 24th, we've got the Stardom Cinderella Tournament. There was some real questions about if this, well, not really whether it was going to happen, but whether it was going to happen in front of fans. And we found out on March 20th that they're going to do this show with fans. I think it's going to be the same thing we're seeing at some other promotions where they're going to be checking temperatures as you come in. Is that your understanding? Yeah, checking temperatures and also, I believe, giving away complimentary masks for everyone to wear. I think it's going to be a requirement. Uh, You see it sometimes anyway at shows, a lot of people wearing those sickness masks, but I believe it's going to be a requirement for everyone in attendance to have a mask. I think they're giving you hand sanitizer too. So, And obviously telling people if you're having any symptoms to stay home. So we'll see how this goes. It's kind of weird, the situation in Japan. A lot of stuff closed for quite a while, but then a lot of wrestling just kept running. And now they seem to be kind of opening things back up. There's a lot of question about whether they're kind of slowing down their tests. And that's why it seems like the coronavirus is going down there. But I guess we're going to see how this affects everything because basically open for business here pretty soon. Yeah, that's the way it appears. It's a question of whether, as you just mentioned, what will happen if something happens to take another turn in the future. We don't know yet, uh, but we sort of have to just play it by ear and wait and see. All right, here's what we know about the Cinderella tournament for this year. I'm kind of bummed. I mean, I kind of I really enjoyed No People Gate, <laughs> and so it would have been fun. Although these kind of matches, so the Cinderella tournament is a one-day single elimination tournament. The winner gets a crown, uh, they, they wear a dress, and basically they get a shot at a title is the idea. I think it's you get your wish granted, right? But uh, almost always that that's a, a title shot. Uh, so you got one bracket. Uh, you know, obviously the winners go on to face each other, and then you get down to one versus one. But they do it all in one day. So you get a whole lot of matches one day, Corquin Hall. The general idea, at least as it seems to me, is that they take someone who is not quite at the super high level of the of the promotion just yet. And this is kind of a way to push them over the top. Would you agree with that idea about the general people who win this tournament? Yes, definitely. I don't think you would see or you will see any current ace or top line wrestler winning this tournament. It definitely is used to uh, boost up a wrestler who maybe is in the mid card or maybe heading up from the mid card and needs a little extra boost to uh, get to that top level. Last year, we had Arisa Hoshiki winning. The year before that was Hanakamura. Or am I am I mixing those up? And the year before that was Momo Watanabe. That's correct. Okay. So let's go through all the matchups. Then we'll talk about kind of who we expect to win or some of these matchups, how we expect them to go. One thing I'll point out first is no Arisa Hoshiki in this tournament. And not just because she's the white belt champion, because you will see that Mayu Iwatani is in this tournament. We did hear at the No People Gate show that she couldn't work because she had some sort of injury. But as far as I know, there's there's no news about that. Have you heard anything else about uh, Aris's um, health at this point? No, I think the last thing I saw was a tweet or something that mentioned that there still wasn't any sort of 
knowledge about how long the injury would last or how long that she would be out. So unfortunately, we don't have any further information to know um, when she'll be back. Which no people gate was less than two weeks ago. So could still be a minor injury. Hopefully it'll be a minor injury and she'll be back. Here's what we know about the tournament. And this is how the bracket is laid out, the way I'm going to go through these matches. I'll read them all first, and then we'll just talk about what jumps out. So we'll have Momo Watanabe versus Starlight Kid, Jungle Kiona versus Julia, Konami versus Azumi, Shuri versus Jamie Hayter, Saki Kashima versus Tom Nakano, Saya Kamitani versus Natsuko Tora, Utami Hayashishita versus Maika, and Mayu Iwatani versus Hana. So what's what are the main things that jump out to you here, Taylor? I think the main things that jump out, I'm looking at that Momo Starlight Kid match. One really one staple of this tournament is that you are going to see some big upsets. Uh, you should expect them. Probably you think of Momo, you think of she's near the top of the promotion, so you think that maybe she would make it to the final four. But I think this is the type of tournament, the matches happen so fast. There's so many matches that it's very easy to sort of knock out the top players in the company without doing any sort of major damage to them uh, especially now with momo maybe part of this storyline of she can't win she's losing her friends and her support from queen's quest that to me reads as a big flashing light of you know is you know it reads to me as that's an upset but maybe not even an upset because to me it seems so right there obvious that I don't know that they would do it the other way. Uh, another thing that sticks out to me, I'm interested to watch Shiri versus Jamie Hayter. Um, that's one where Shiri is a freelancer. You think it, that maybe they would have her go out in the first round, but with them trying to establish Donna Del Mondo, maybe she makes a run and goes far, but could also go far that's one where i think either one of them winning probably gets them to the final four in my mind and the same thing with utami and micah micah very young inexperienced but part of donna del mundo and utami obviously is one of the bigger players in the company so maybe she loses in the first round in an upset and micah makes it a certain amount of way to again make donna del mundo seem very strong I meant to say this at the beginning, but as Taylor mentioned, the matches go fast because they're all short, and you can also be eliminated over the top rope in this tournament. So it makes it a lot easier to do eliminations, especially it makes it easier to do upsets. You can have, you know, Utami Micah, you can just have her throw Utami over the top rope and advance. So that makes things a little easier for the underdogs in the tournament. Right, and usually even going over the top rope even less than being thrown over the top rope. Oftentimes someone goes up to the, to the top to do a move from the turnbuckle and gets pushed off, uh, which would count. So that's not even, you know, being thrown over, which I guess in the, in the world of wrestling would require some strength and ability to get your opponent over that sort of, Oh, you took a risk. It didn't pay off and you fell over the top rope and you're out. So even more. So uh, the ability to sort of fudge some of these matchups to get, the lesser wrestlers ahead. Yeah, you'll see they kind of, they get on the apron somehow after they've been out of the ring and then you just get them kicked off the apron and um, sometimes that will that will be a finish. So pretty easy for upsets to happen. I agree. It breaks my heart. I agree that Momo's almost 
100% going to lose this first match uh, to Starlight Kid. Uh, some other things that I'm interested in seeing. Not only are they trying to get uh, Donado Mondo over, but you got this new Oedo Tai and Saki Kashima being a new member of Oedo Tai. So I kind of wonder if she makes a little run here. Natsuko's the new leader of Oedo Tai. You kind of wonder what kind of run she could make. And you were talking about that Utami Maika match in the, in the first round. Whoever wins that is going to face the winner of Mayu versus Hana. And it's hard to imagine. I mean, Mayu or Hana versus Utami is like a big match. You know, you almost hate to give that away in the second round of this tournament. Yeah, I agree. And the fact of the matter is whoever makes it to that second round between Mayu and Hana, I would see, I don't think either of them has a chance of getting past the second round. They're both very established stars, maybe the top two stars in the entire promotion. I don't know that there's any benefit to moving them past the second round. So I think the winner of that Utami Micah match is going, is going to go far into the tournament. You will also almost always see in this tournament, either a draw, a double elimination, all the matches are not going to happen. There will not be your straight bracket of these first, what, eight matches? There won't, all the in the next round, not all those matches are happening. Somebody's going to get double eliminated at some point. You could, you could almost, you could easily see that with Mayu versus Hana in the first round and Utami Micah winner just strolls right through. <laughs> And you put Micah through to the third round and you say, well, she's a little bit less experienced, so maybe we don't want her having three matches and we just have her have two matches. Yeah, that could certainly, I could definitely see that happening. Okay, well, who stands out to you as a potential winner of the tournament? So looking at the brackets, the way they're laid out and who's going up against who, I think the final two, my final two uh, would be Julia and uh, Natsugotora. I think those are the two people, in my mind, easily, who would benefit the most from winning the tournament. Uh, Julia, very new, and heading up her own uh, unit in Donna Del Mundo. And Natsuko Tora, on, on the same end, the new leader of the new Oedo Tai, uh, unfortunately lost out on a big opportunity at No People Gate of the title match that she was supposed to be in. And so this could be her opportunity to win and really solidify her as the leader, as the big wrestler in the new 08 Otai. Well, this is going to be very boring, Taylor, because I 100% agree that, that Julia is going to win the tournament. It just That makes the most sense to me. She's the kind of the person who is right there. She's definitely been pushed at the top of this promotion. I don't think there's any doubt about that. But she's someone who needs a boost. Now, it's a big... It's a, it's a risk, it's a gamble, because generally what happens is the winner of this match will challenge for a title at the Gold May Show, which you talked about with two of your recommendations in the 2016-2017 the matches. But I think about Momo Watanabe winning this tournament and then beating Io Shirai at Gold May. I think about Arisa Hoshiki winning this tournament and then beating Momo Watanabe at the same show. So I'm a little skeptical of a Julia Arisahoshki match this year and even more skeptical at the idea of, of Julia beating her at this point. What do you think about that? Um, I could see it going both ways. I think Julia, they obviously see something in her. 
and I think that this is a promotion that has the sort of leeway that some other Joshi promotions that we talk about don't have and that they can take some risks with the decisions they make, especially when it comes to the title. I mean, I think Arisa is, was one of the signs of that, where I think about a year ago, before the Cinderella tournament happened, I don't know that there were many people who were thinking about Arisa as one of the top members of the company. And then she won the stardom Cinderella tournament and she won the belt and now she's near the top. So I think anything's possible. Like I said, I think stardom has a little bit more rope where they can try some things. They obviously are drawing big numbers. Now this show might be a little bit down because of the circumstances of what exactly is going on in the country and the world. But I think that they draw enough. They obviously have the backing of Bushi road. So it's not a, it's some of these companies have to decide what happens based on needing to draw for the next show or the next two shows. If they try Julia and Julia wins the title and it turns out that people aren't interested or they sort of tune out of the company, it's very easy to, you know, okay, three months later we do a title match and she loses it to whoever who now holds the belt who are more sure can be a draw. So I think it's certainly possible that Julia could win. Um, it's obvious that stardom sees big things in her. And I think this would be the next natural step. And it might be a good way to really solidify Donna Del Mundo, which really, as we've talked in the previous episode, is now only three people. Seems a bit light, but having a big champion as the leader of the group might really help that group solidify. You're exactly right about Arisa and how that all played out. I'm not sure anybody saw that coming. I recall, and I, I'm not looking at the, the data, so I'll get this wrong, but I looked back at some point and she had won either none or just a handful of singles matches, period, before going through this tournament and winning, since she came back to the promotion, I mean. She was gone for some period of time. So I don't think many people saw it coming. So we could be getting ourselves worked up about Julia and they go a completely different way and fucking Saki Kashima runs through this tournament or something stupid. <laughs> but the other thing I think you're right about is this tournament is so stacked. Like, Almost everybody in this tournament is is very good, or at least good at a minimum. And even if you put somebody like Julia with the white belt, and my, my point is that she's just not at the same working level as some of the other women in this company, but you can easily protect her by putting other really good matches on the shows around her. So I'm not even sure how important it is at this point if your champions are big time uh, work rate folks. I definitely agree, yeah. All right, well, that's the Stardom Cinderella Tournament. Like you, I am really interested in what this what this show draws. They were drawing huge houses to Corquin on their last two uh, Bushiroad, the first two Bushiroad shows, but their last two Corquins. So I'm fascinated to see what this draws considering everything that's going on. But here's hoping it's a good number. Moving on to... Something else that happened at Corquin Hall. Well, quickly, I want to say, okay, so that show's going to happen on Tuesday. And we won't be back for two weeks. So it's going to be a little stale by the time we get back. But I'm sure we'll have a full review of the show. It's just going to be not as immediate as I would prefer. But something else that happened at Corquin Hall recently. Ice Ribbon, March 14th in Corquin. This just dropped uh, on the day we're recording this, March 22. So... 
brand new show. We're talking about attendance at Corquin. They drew 533 fans. Of course, that's this is like it's at least at the height of American hysteria about coronavirus, but the the Japanese curve is probably a little longer than ours. But for comparison's sake, back in February, February 24th, they drew 637. And then if you go back to their last normal show they did in Corquin, so I'm excluding Ribbon Mania, which is their big show they do on New Year's Eve, that drew 841. So they're down about 300 fans, but that doesn't seem terrible considering everything that's going on. I know I looked at the number when the show originally happened, and I was saying if they could get to 500, that would probably be fairly good for them. Uh, just based on what was going on and the fact that this show happening last week um, on the 14th was still sort of in the throes of everyone thought that everything would be shut down for this long time. Now we're finally getting to the point and shows are starting to happen again. But really the first show that sort of happened that said, okay, everything's fine, was DDT, which was six days later, so almost an entire week later. So I'm not entirely surprised uh, to see a low number. I thought that 500 was sort of the, if they got over 500, that would be pretty good, and they and they did. Um, so, you know, I think pretty good considering this, the situation and the scenario that they were in. What did you think about the show overall? This was headlined by the Infinity title match, Maya Yukihi taking on Hiragi Kurumi. Uh, what, were, what were your overall thoughts on this show? It was a really strong show. I really enjoyed it. As we go through match by match, you'll see that I really enjoyed a lot of the matches on the show. It was on aired on Samurai, which unfortunately means that they have to slot it into a two-hour time slot, which means some of the earlier matches got cut for time, which is a little bit unfortunate. Um, as sometimes happens with these samurai broadcasts. But I thought overall a very strong show sets them up very well for their upcoming big Yokohama Bunkai show at the beginning of May. So overall a very strong effort uh, and glad that we get to cover it here. I gotta say though that that's a nice thing about Joshi. Pretty much if you sit down to watch a show, it's going to be about two hours long at at the out or at the maximum. So. You don't really, it's not your New Japan four and a half hour show for basically a house show. You know, you kind of get a little more people caring about your time, I feel like, in Joshi. Yeah, you get a little bit more bang for your buck in terms of uh, time management. Yeah, I agree with that. All right, well, let's, we'll go down this card and we'll just start from the beginning. So opening match, Matsuya Uno, Rina Shingaki, Shuri, and Tei Hanma, the joint army, folks. So... Tehanma 420, now part of the joint army. Defeating Bani Oikawa, Miku Aono, Thekla, not sure how to pronounce that one, and Yappy. Yeah, uh, super exciting match. The first appearance of the full joint army after Rina Shingaki uh, joined them at the February 24th Korokin show, uh, Ice Ribbon Reborn. Love seeing them come out in their geese. Uh, dressed in the in the geese. I thought that was really cool. This was one of the matches. I think this was the match that was most clipped from the entire show. So didn't get to see a ton of it, but liked what I saw. Liked this sort of submission-based group that they put together with the joint army. So I really enjoyed this one. 
Yeah, I want to say I mean, that it was a great opener because it was kind of nonstop action, but I also don't know if they just cut out the boring parts of the, of the match. Hard to say. But a lot of it was fun. I'm just, I'm a big Shuri fan. And this is like an excellent way to use her. I mean, I, I prefer her in some other uh, spots where she's kind of higher up the card, you know, but I like her getting to do this style and it's a lot of fun. Yeah, I like that she sort of came back a few months ago and it's been a little bit of just as a freelancer appearing in matches, sort of randomly put together matches that sometimes tend to happen across Joshi. I'm glad to see her in this position uh, being part of a group, being part of, obviously, this is part of a story of this group sort of coming together. And I wouldn't be surprised to see this group rise up the card as the weeks and months go on. So I'm happy to see Shuri, who I also really like, um, finally getting put in something a little bit more substantial. Next up, we had Maika Ozaki and Sukushi defeating the lovely Butchers team of Hamako Hoshi and Mochi Miyagi. Something, this was kind of just a fine match. But something that I really enjoyed about it or something that hit me while watching this is that Joshi, to me, has a much better understanding than Japanese men's wrestling or any American wrestling of the way to like incorporate fun into wrestling in a way that makes sense, in a way that doesn't really make it stand out from the rest of the card. It's like... Pretty much everything, I mean, you have your blood fuse and you have that kind of stuff, but pretty much everything has this little hint of fun and it never kind of goes over the top for me anyway. And I just think that's something that makes Joshi more enjoyable than any other wrestling for me. Yeah, and I think Ice Ribbon is a promotion that's really good at it, walking that fine line between, I don't think that anyone uh, would look at Ice Ribbon and say, oh, they're a comedy promotion in the way that some people sort of look at DDT and say, oh, they're a comedy promotion. But they definitely do have these matches and storylines that are more humorous. Obviously, last year, the big storyline was Tsukasa Fujimoto and Andre's a giant panda and their sort of love affair that uh, happened actually almost a year ago. Andre's a giant panda's wife uh, fought Fujimoto at the Ice Ribbon Corican Hall show. So they definitely do have, I see exactly what you're talking about, the aspects of fun to the promotion without moving into being a comedy promotion or having it sort of take over the entirety of the promotion. As for this match, I really liked it. Sakushi, I really think is great. I thought she was really great in this match. This actually, I believe, was her 10th anniversary match uh, of her wrestling debut. She debuted when she was 12 years old uh, and has been wrestling for 10 years. So I thought it was really fun. I thought the end got really great. I thought it was really quick-paced, uh, moving around. So I enjoyed it. A nice opening uh, lower card match. Next up was Aja Kong defeating Ibuki Hoshi. This was not my favorite Aja Kong singles match that we watched for this episode. This is sort of the Aja Kong style that has sort of moved from promotion to promotion, is now an ice ribbon. Sort of the young rookie comes out to take on Aja Kong, they battle, it's very tough, they get some offense in and they lose, so it's a little bit of a style that I now feel that I've seen a lot of, and I think I've seen it done a little bit better in other places. I'm thinking of uh, Makoto Shindo's debut match in Marvelous at Corican Hall, 
against um oh no that was against uh yoshiko i'm thinking of something totally different but aja kong also has the as you just mentioned aaron the manami match later in the show which we'll talk about but this has become a very aja kong sort of style uh matchup yes but i will say that i thought hoshi's fire in this match was excellent and portends well for her i just at the beginning, I was kind of bored. I was like, okay, yeah, this is the same match we usually get out of Aja Kong. But Hoshi pulled me back into it with her emoting and selling. thought she was really good in this match. Yeah, she's very good. She's a young wrestler. I think all uh, I think the young wrestlers in Ice Ribbon have sort of been uh, hidden in the shadow of Suzu Suzuki, who we'll talk about in a second. But all three of them are very strong, including Hoshi. And I think that she did have a good showing, even though it wasn't my, my favorite match in this style. Yes, we are going to talk about Suzu Suzuki right now. She had a match with Tsukasa Fujimoto. Uh, Suzu Suzuki, hmm, that's a hard name to say. Suzu Suzuki wins the match. But I think before we get into the match, I want to talk about two things. First, I meant to do this at the top of, of this segment, but talking about Fujimoto, I think is a good point to kind of talk about what Ice Ribbon is in like, you know, who runs this thing, I uh, just I was we haven't really done much here in this Ice Ribbon segment for the people who are listening who've never watched Ice Ribbon. Right. So Ice Ribbon is a promotion that was founded in 2006 by Emi Sakura, who people may know either from Gato Move. She now uh, works there or from her appearances in AEW. Uh, where she's appeared a couple times. She had the title match with Riho, who she trained. Riho was uh, for a long time a Ice Ribbon wrestler as she was sort of part of the group along with Emi Sakura that came from their original promotion, which is Gato Kunyan, uh, to this new Ice Ribbon promotion. Emi Sakura left after a few years to do her own thing, then started Gato Move, and... After she left, uh, Hikaru Shida, who you also may know from AEW, and Tsukasa Fujimoto took over the training at the Ice Ribbon Dojo. Shida was one of the big members of this of Ice Ribbon until she left, uh, I think a few years ago now at this point. She came back briefly, um, but then left again, and obviously now is based in the States for AEW. I always, I kind of think of Ice Ribbon as sort of, we talked about last week as stardom being a mix of uh, the more idle um, side of life and, but also sort of hard hitting Joshi. I like to think of Ice Ribbon as sort of the perfect combination of almost every style of Joshi wrestling. You'll see it all as we just talked about. They do do comedy. They do sometimes live on the funnier side of life which you can sort of see in other promotions like Tokyo Joshi from time to time. They have a lot of hard-hitting matches, which is very much like Seedling or Sendai Girls. And they also have sort of, you know, I think like, as we mentioned last week, all all wrestling is sort of based on this, but they also do have, you know, the attractive members of, you know, they're, they're pushing people who are attractive. So I think it's... Uh, perfect balance between if you're looking for something that covers all the bases of what Joshi can be. I think that's what Ice Ribbon is to me. And gosh, this match almost encapsulates that idea to me. It starts with this uh, hilarious 
pre-match video. Uh, but then we get like a hard-hitting match between these two. Uh, can you explain for the folks who have gone back and watched this show before listening, what exactly was the buildup for the story here between Suka and, and Suzu? Okay, so Suzu Suzuki is a younger wrestler who was originally supposed to debut in 2018, but right before she debuted, she got in a biking accident. Uh, where she broke her collarbone, and so her debut was delayed, but instead of sort of letting it get them down, they used this bike accident, and they worked it into her gimmick, where she would ride a bike to the ring, and she has, or she had this call that was Chirin Chirin, which is the um, onomatopoeia sound for a uh, bike bell or a bike horn on a bike, and she would say this during um, her matches. She would do a move and she would go Chirin Chirin and the audience would do it along with her and then she would hit this move. Uh, at the February 24th Hurricane show, she held a Chirin Chirin retirement match. She's retiring the bells. She had a very uh, emotional uh, retirement where she held the bells up and she was crying and then she laid them in the ring and left them in the ring as the camera sort of zoomed in on these bike bells. Uh, so she retired that gimmick and then at one of the small Ice Ribbon Dojo shows, she left a note saying that she was going to be disappearing for a while to go on a journey of personal growth and experience. And so she disappeared for a while, but at one of the other dojo show she appeared and she attacked Fujimoto and left a, a small note that just said the word leg on it in Japanese uh, it was very confusing people didn't know what it meant a couple weeks later the same thing happened she appeared and she left a note that said roll on it and also a picture of someone who was caught up in a uh, whirlwind or tornado or hurricane whatever you want to call it so it's sort of been this very vague, mysterious, uh, what's going on? Fujimoto put out a 1 million yen reward if anyone could go and find Suzu Suzuki and where she was. Fujimoto went out into the woods, which you'll see in this uh, promo video, pre-match promo video, to find Suzu Suzuki, found her, but uh, Suzu fled and Fujimoto was not able to catch up with her even though Fujimoto, I believe in high school, was a track athlete or a cross-country runner or something of that sort. So that's sort of the basic setup of the match, which is this was the debut of the new Suzu Suzuki, now uh, free of the Chirin Chirin ball and the Chirin Chirin gimmick with the bike, uh, going up uh, in a singles match against Fujimoto, who is uh, arguably the ace of Ice Ribbon, obviously, as we mentioned, has been around for many years in the promotion, was the trainer, so is a big name, and so this was a big match. And as you mentioned, Suzuki pulling out the victory, and it was revealed that all of these clues throughout the many weeks with leg roll and this picture of the whirlwind, it turned out that uh, Suzu Suzuki created a counter for the Japanese Ocean Cyclone Suplex, which is Tsukasa Fujimoto's finishing move. It was That move was actually handed down to Fujimoto from Manami Toyota, 
who was the originator of the move and was one of Fujimoto's um, idols, trainers. And so it was handed down officially. It's a big move, a very well-known move in the history of Joshi wrestling. So Suzu Suzuki figured out the counter, which was this leg roll pin and pinned Fujimoto for the victory. This was an outstanding match, I thought. Probably my favorite match of everything we watched for uh, the past two weeks for this episode. I've got it at four and a quarter. Uh, Great escalation, perfectly paced, lots of great strikes, impressive spots. I mean, it just about had it all for me. I just loved it. Yeah, I really liked it too. Fujimoto is one of the greats of current modern Joshi. So came in with high expectations. And they were definitely met for me. I was a little bit lower than you. I think I went about four stars. But I thought it was really great, a really great way to get Suzuki back in the promotion. It's very clear that they have high expectations and hopes for Suzuki, as we'll talk about closer to the end of the show. But uh, you are going to see her at the top of the company very soon um, and probably for a very long time. The next up was a four-way ladder match involving Rina Yamashita, uh, Risa Seira, Ram Kaicho, and Satsuko Totoro. Can you, can you, you told me this, but can you tell me again what the, uh, there's a new belt, right, at the Yokohama show? And that's what this was for? Yeah, so they're debuting a new belt at the Yokohama show, which is called the Fantast Ice oh, right. Belt. That's right. Which is a play on the word fantastic. Um, but with an E added, so it's Fantast Ice. Um, and it's a belt that's going to be very similar if any, if you watch DDT. Uh, DDT has the extreme title, the DDT extreme title, where the usually the champion for the championship matches determines the stipulation of each match. It can be totally different. It can be totally wild. It could be comedic. It could be... Hardcore, it could be very standard, but the champion determines it. So this Fantast Ice Championship is going to be in that style where um, the champion will determine what kind of match is held for the championship. So basically they had a little uh, card up above the ring. I guess there were two of them. So the two winners, whoever grabbed those two, would move on to uh, this match to determine the very first champion. And the winners were Rina Yamashita and Risa Serra. Yeah, an exciting match. I was thinking to myself, this one was a little, um, this one was a little trimmed as well, which was slightly unfortunate. But I don't think I've ever seen people climbing the ladders faster in a ladder match than I have in this match. People really running up the ladders very quickly which I couldn't believe. I'm so trained in past ladder matches for people climbing up the ladder as if they've never um, used their feet before. But I thought it was a fun match. I think they did some fun things with the ladder. Um, And it was good. And I think uh, the winners were uh, Rina Yamashita and Risa Serra. I think those are two great options. They chose a, a death match is going to be the match at Yokohama. So I think that's going to be a super exciting match. Two people who are really strong in that style of match, and I think it will be one of the one of the better matches on that card. I just hate ladder matches so much. This was hard for me, just because it's not anybody in this match's fault. It's just ladder matches have gotten so bad in like the WWE world over the years 
that I'm just bored of them. And it was hard for this match to overcome that for me. The main event was the Infinity title match. Maya Yukihi defeated Hiragi Kurumi, retained the Infinity title in a match that... So, I think it's... You're going to... I hate to spoil everybody. You're going to have this as a recommended match later. So, I got a sense that you really liked this. And I liked it a lot, too. But... The reason why the Suzuki-Fujimoto match was something that I enjoyed more was played out in the fact that this had like a very slow beginning for me, and that made it hard for me to be invested in it. About halfway through, it got insane. I mean, the last half of this match is so good, but by then it's almost... I'm kind of like my emotions are dulled by that point, and so I had to get back into the match in a way. And so that brought it down a little for me, but you can't deny that the the last half of this match and the the end were just fantastic, fantastic ice, even you might say. <laughs> oh God! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I really liked the whole thing. I didn't feel the slowness at the beginning, so um, I guess I just have to disagree with that. I thought that the arm work was really good. I was I was a bit worried partway through the match that it was going to end up getting left behind and sort of forgotten, but it, in the end it didn't. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We hype ourselves up thinking, ah, maybe I can pull a Ken Griffey Jr. rookie card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now. Introducing Slab Packs from Arena Club com the only repack that provides real value a complete view of all possible cards and clear hit rates for each one now when i buy slab packs at arena club it finally feels like i know what i'm getting i was able to open an arena club slab pack and and i'll be honest it was a lot better than what you normally do say you go to a card show and there's a random innocuous round bag of cards and yeah you can open it and look it's going to be junk you're you, you know what i mean like you know what you're probably going to get in those maybe you find that fun and sometimes i do sometimes i like just opening up cards and saying oh, hey look at some random cards or whatever but if you're really in this game to to find value and find particular cards it sucks to have to buy these mystery packs and it ends up being you know almost nothing you know nothing of value not with arena club you can display, again, of all available cards, hit rates, grading, so you know that when you're opening up the slab pack, you are going to get something valuable. You are getting something good. And Arena Club, in addition to having those great slab packs we just talked about, is also a marketplace for card collecting, buying, trading, selling, displaying, all that sort of stuff. But those Arena Club slab packs, man, they are revolutionizing the repack game with transparency. After your polls are revealed, they'll immediately be placed in your vault for safekeeping or trading and selling, and you can have them officially graded by Arena Club as well. So again, I'm setting these things off. It's going to be officially graded by Arena Club. And the Arena Club grading process is accurate, fast, and transparent with full grade rationale provided and explanation of how your card was scored. So whether you're buying, selling, trading, or displaying, Arena Club is the card-collecting platform that you have to check out. So right now, I've got a special offer here for Voices of Wrestling Network listeners. You can get 10% off of your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net. Again, that's arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net. Now, that's a crazy offer. That's 10% off a $400 slab pack. $40 off right there. 10% off your first purchase. No matter what that purchase is, 10% off. Off. Again, that's arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net. 
arenaclub.com slash VOWnet for 10% off your first purchase on Arena Club. And we thank them for sponsoring the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. Uh, which I was really happy about. I just thought it was a strong match. I think Maya Yukihi is super talented. I think she's probably one of the more... This is a bit weird to say about someone who is the champion of this promotion and also wrestles in a very high um, spot in Oz Academy, but I think she's probably one of the more underrated wrestlers in Joshi today. I think she's got great skill. She has great personality, obviously um, turning a little bit more heel here with the story going on with her um, sort of disrespecting the Ice Ribbon roster, but has shown that she can do both babyface and heel very well. So I think she's super talented and I really enjoyed the match. Love the story of uh, the arm work from Maya. So yeah, I really enjoyed it and didn't feel that it was slow at the beginning. Hmm. Well, fine. <laughs> so take that. <laughs> That's the 314 show. They also ran Corrigan Hall on February 24th. I don't feel the need to run down this match by match Taylor, since it happened about a month ago at this point. But do you have thoughts that you specifically wanted to talk about from this show? Yeah, I guess I would just say we talked about Suzu Suzuki. If you sort of want to get the whole um, sort of beginning to end of this uh, Suzu story, I would recommend. Also, I thought it was a great match. I would recommend her match against Miku Ono. Uh, I thought it was really strong. Obviously, at the end, she has the uh, Chirin Chirin retirement ceremony with the ice ribbon um, ring announcer actually in on commentary making this speech about the bells and it's you know it's sort of very i don't want to say over the top but it's very you know presented as if it it's a big moment uh, so i would recommend that you can watch that match and then the fujimoto match back to back and sort of get the whole story there um, and I know that, Aaron, I'll leave it to you. I know that you really liked the the uh, tag team title match. Yes, I did. I mean, I liked... The thing about this show, generally, is it was a lot of fun from top to bottom. So it's one of those shows that it was really easy to put on, really easy to watch. Nothing... I don't think anything blew me away. The The tag title match was the best match on this show, without a doubt. And I just love, uh, to me, Yamashita is like so fun to watch just because she has this like, she's more of a powerhouse. She really gets gets you that, that thing that you don't always get in Joshi where, you know, the people are just smaller sometimes. And so sometimes it's like somebody really beating the hell out of somebody, but it's not as impressive when you zoom out and you see somebody like Rina Yamashita beating the hell out of somebody because she's just huge. Uh, she's just bigger and stronger than a lot of these people. So that's a lot of fun for me. Obviously, Fujimoto is out of this world. So it was just an excellent match. But overall, I just can't impress upon people enough that if you just want to turn on a show and have fun and see like all baseline good matches, this is a great show to watch. Yeah, I would agree with that. I had a great time watching it and I felt the same way where I felt that uh, there wasn't really a blow-away match, a big match of the year candidate, maybe you would call it, but all the matches are really good and really interesting. All right, let's get back into some of the news items from the past couple of weeks. We talked, and by we, I mean Taylor talked a little bit about the Joshi Rookie Tournament last time out, but now we've got some brackets. So 
Uh, here are the people that we have so far, or I guess this is everybody. But we got uh, Mikoto Shindo from Marvelous against Akari from Pure J, Maria from Marvelous versus Mei Hoshizuki from Marvelous, Mei Suruga versus, uh, from Gato Mu versus Onori Ana from Seedling, uh, Kaneko. I'm not. I don't honestly. I don't know who this is. So it's you've got some notes after it, um, but I'm not familiar with this rookie. Yeah, so this is a rookie from Sendai who just passed her rookie test. So she is a brand new. She was the X. Originally, they announced 11 of the 12 names for this tournament. They didn't announce the the matchups, but they announced 11 of 12 names because um, Kaneko had not made her debut at that point in time. She made her debut, and they said, oh, she's the 12th member of this tournament. So she is the least experienced um, but she's been on a Sendai Girls show already, tournament. and I missed it. No, she was she was just announced like she came out, and they oh, said, okay, "Oh, okay. this is her," and she passed her rookie test, and she's going to be debuting soon. Unless there was a show I missed that she wrestled on, but I don't think there was. I was going to say that's one I catch almost every show, so I would have been surprised by that. But she will be wrestling Korea from Pure J. We got Yurika Oka from Sendai Girls taking on Haruka Umesaki from uh, Diana. Uh, Nanami from Diana versus Manami from Sendai Girls. That is the lineup. What do you think? What sticks out to you from that? Who do you think might? I think it's kind of hard to say in a rookie tournament. Like who's gonna who's gonna go when it's a bunch of rookies all from different promotions. Uh, the one thing that sticks out to me is there are two matches that are listed as the winner gets a bye to the final four: Mikoto Shindo versus Akari and Nanami versus Manami. So you would think those. People have the leg up in the tournament? Yeah, and I think looking at those two matches, it seems to me Makoto Shindo is is sort of the most um, heralded rookie from the Marvelous, the three-person Marvelous rookie class. So I would think she would go through. And then just looking at it, this is a Sendai Girls show. Um, technically, they're the ones hosting it. So on the other end with Nanami and Minami, uh, Minami is from Sendai Girls, so you figure that she would win to get a Sendai Girls representative into the Final Four. I think sometimes looking at these, uh, it might be a little bit of a toss-up, but I sort of look at it and seeing trying to represent maybe in the Final Four four different promotions so that you're showing sort of, you know, hey, all these promotions have great rookies and it doesn't turn into, you know, the Final Four is... Two Marvelous people and two Sendai people, because then it's sort of like, oh, all these other promotions are, you know, these rookies are, they stink and who cares. Um, So looking at it, I would probably guess, and this is a guess, I could be totally wrong. I think it's probably going to be Makoto Shindo, Mesuruga on one end of the final four. And I would think Minami would get to the final four, as we mentioned and I would actually probably pick Haruka Umasaki. She's from Diana. She's getting a lot of bookings this year in a lot of different promotions. She's making a big name for herself. And I think that she's someone who could definitely make a strong run in this tournament. You didn't pick anybody from Sendai Girls. I picked Manami. Oh, you're right. You're right. I messed that up. Sorry. Sorry. Sorry, everyone. Uh, I love Mikoto Shendo. She's like one of my favorites. I got to meet her at uh, Sendai Girls show on January 5th. Very, just a huge sweetheart and a big fan of hers. So that's who I will be rooting for 
But that doesn't mean, of course, that she's going to win the tournament. I'm also a big, which I'm going to talk about her later, but I'm a big uh, Eureka Oka fan. I think she's very good. Yeah, there's a there's a lot of uh, talent in this tournament. Actually, I think I mentioned this last show. They've done this rookie tournament twice in the past, in 2008 and 2009. And I was actually looking back at some of those, uh, the brackets for those. And, you know, we think about some of these wrestlers and we say, oh, we don't really know much about them because they're just young rookies. But some of these rookie tournaments in the past have been stacked. I mean, Asuka was in one. Uh, Io Shirai, Mio Shirai was in run. Uh, Ryo Mizunami, Hiroyo Matsumoto. So a lot of people who have gone on to do big things in the world of Joshi have been in these rookie tournaments and you look through this list of wrestlers and there could be a lot of these wrestlers who go on to do uh, big things and lead their promotion or if they lead another promotion or wherever they end up. The first round of the tournament is going to be on March 28th. The second round will be April 22nd and the finals are on April 26th. So we will talk about that on the show as it progresses. Next note, we've got Himeka Arita is leaving Actress Girls. Yeah, big news. Big uh, big news. I feel that every um, sort of departure from a, from a company of anyone sort of brings this feeling of, uh, I don't know if doom is the right word, but there's such uncertainty where, you know, oh, I'm leaving this promotion has become sort of a code for someone going somewhere else. Now, that could be stardom. It could be WWE. Or it could be freelance. We've seen a couple people. Uh, Ryo Mizunami comes to mind who went freelance from Wave a couple months ago and has seemingly just decided to be freelance, wrestle all over the place um, in a lot of different promotions, including uh, Seedling. She was in recently. So it could be that uh, Himeka leaves and does turn freelance, but there is also the possibility that she's picked up by one of these sort of bigger promotions that are starting to grow and um, some people away from their home promotions. Well, we also saw Sauriano declare that she was going freelance, also from Actress Girls, and she seems to have just stayed freelance, right? Yeah, she stayed freelance. She has a, an interesting situation where she's a pretty prominent wrestler in Oz Academy, um, being part of Sekigun or Osaki-gun or whatever you want to call it. So she sort of has, when she went freelance, my big question was, well, if she's going to the, one of these big promotions um, like Stardom or somewhere else, could she, or maybe even Tokyo Joshi, could she still wrestle in Oz Academy? Because I think that she, um, I mean, I don't know. I haven't spoke to her about it, but I think she enjoys doing it. She's been wrestling there for quite a while. So that one was an interesting one. She stayed mostly freelance. So it's very possible that Humeka is going to stay freelance and just see where she goes. But uh, we won't know. It's the end of the month, I believe, is her last uh, date in Actress Girls. So in about a week uh, or a little more than a week, I think we'll probably find out what's going on. Last bit of news here. I saw this in the Wrestling Observer newsletter. And before I talk about what the news item is, I would just always say that when you read Dave Meltzer talk in The Observer, especially about stardom, you have to be somewhat skeptical because he has a, a very obvious uh, news source, which is Fumi, who's on the uh, Pacific Rim podcast. 
who is close to Rossi Ogawa. So you, you know that you're getting the company line when you read what Dave writes about stardom in the Observer. So just to have that out there. But this is an interesting story, I think. And that is that Takayuki Kawakami uh, and his wife, they were the personal managers of Tom Nakano and Itsuki Hoshino, who are stardom wrestlers. And apparently things have broken down to where uh, Kawakami has filed a breach of contract lawsuit. So uh, Nakano left Kawakami's management last year. And then he is claiming that she and Itsuki Hoshino are still under contract to him. So there's an issue between them. And then there's this other issue that he claims stardom breached Nakano's contract that apparently he would have he would have had with stardom uh, because she was promised a major singles championship run and that never happened. So this is going to be an ongoing lawsuit. Kawakami has apparently claimed on Twitter that he was going to reveal Ogawa's dirty secrets in court. Uh, presumably that'll be about his um, weird collections that we see in the pictures that we get uh, when, when Rossi, it might be about why he always wears a hat. I think that could be an interesting dirty secret from Rossi. Uh, but it's interesting in that we didn't see Hoshino on the No People Gate show, so that might have been an issue related to this. And so I think that's going to be fascinating to see how this is resolved and if anything comes out that's interesting. Uh, yeah, I'm mostly interested to find out what Ogawa's dirty secrets w- could be because I feel like there have been many um, things that have come out about him in the past. So if there's even more, I, I can't believe what those things might be. <laughs> No, but it should be fun, right? Uh, we'll see. I don't know. You know, sometimes with these things, they pop up and then they disappear and you never hear anything else about them and they just sort of evaporate into the world of rumors and things like that. But we'll, you know, we'll see what happens. We need the, the Japanese version of David Bixenspan to, to keep us caught up on this uh, litigation, I think. Yeah, to go through the uh, court document files and... Um... I don't know. What's the does um, Japan have a Freedom of Information Act or something like that? I have no idea. (laughs) (laughs) Couldn't begin to guess. But the what I was the point I was making about Dave and his his stardom sources is like he writes in the in the Observer. The belief is Nakano and Hoshino want nothing to do with him, Kawakami, and are happy working for Bushi Road, which may or may not be true, but and probably is true. But it's just kind of funny the kind of editorializing that you get that uh, is transparent in many ways. So anyway, if we find anything else out about that, we'll report it here for sure. All right, it's time for Spark Notes. This is the part of the show where we do kind of quick hits going down some of the smaller shows that have happened. Uh, Taylor, which show do you want to start with? Well, I guess we'll start with the first show uh, chronologically, which would be Just Tap Out Girls 2. Um, and I'll start with Just Tap Out Girls 2. Just Tap Out is Taka Michinoku's new promotion after uh, Kaintai Dojo uh, went away and became 2AW. He founded Just Tap Out. Uh, he has a lot of trainees, young female trainees, so he puts together these. Um, this is the second one. Uh, Just Tap Out Girls shows, which feature all women wrestlers. Uh, probably the big highlight of this one was Kagetsu. I think this might be Kagetsu's last sort of retirement road match making tape against Micah. 
so if you've been following along with the Kagetsu retirement matches, this may be one that you want to check out. Also, Andres Miyagi, who spent some time in stardom recently, seems to have left that promotion and landed here and just tap out. She has a match as well on the show. It's only three matches on the show. It's very quick. In fact, the Nico uh, broadcast actually showed an entire other show of Just Tap Out in the two-hour segment of this Just Tap Out stream and still had time for these three matches. So quite a short show. If you're looking for something quick and want to check out that Kagetsu match, uh, give it a watch. I guess we might as well stick chronologically. So the next one is the Diana show from February 22. Is it fair to say that Diana has been most well-known lately, A, for never making tape, and B, for the presence of Sari? Yeah, that's what they've been best known for probably for a while. Um, the fact is that before this year, I think now they've made tape twice or maybe three times. I think before this year, the last time they made tape was either 2018 or maybe even 2017. So it's been quite a while, uh, but Suri has sort of been the, their um, representative around the world of Joshi. Obviously had a great year last year, a wrestler of the year at least wrestler of the year contender type year, if not better. I thought that she was the wrestler of the year, but she has definitely been their um, sort of calling card as their, their most famous wrestler. But unfortunately uh, that is no more. Um, she is headed off to the land of WWE. Um, and I believe unless uh, another show makes tape, which at this point would be very unexpected. She had her last match on February 24th, that this match against Yoshiko will be her last aired match from the world of Joshi before she heads off to WWE. Should we talk about Yoshiko before we talk about the match? So we probably should um, to sort of talk about the um, elephant in the room when it comes to Yoshiko. So for those who don't know, Yoshiko was um, a wrestler for stardom for many years. Um, she had a match a few years ago in stardom um, where she uh, the match turned into a shoot and she injured her opponent. Uh, it was very controversial. It's very... Uh, it's called the Ghastly Match in Japan. It's a very brutal-looking match. You can look it up. We won't link it to it or anything like that, but it is available if you want to hunt it down. Um, after that happened, Yoshiko announced that she was retiring. Uh, a few people left stardom. Some people in stardom got pay reduces. Stardom introduced a rule of no closed fist punches allowed in any of their matches. So if you ever watch stardom matches, you'll never see any closed fist punches at any time. Um, Yoshiko retired, uh, but then came back a few years later, Nanai Takahashi, who had also been in stardom, had left the promotion during this whole controversy, founded her own promotion called Seedling, and brought back Yoshiko as one of the big stars. Uh, a very controversial move. I know there's many people around the world who don't want to watch Yoshiko matches because of what's happened. Uh, I totally understand that. 
Um, it's totally fine. I just wanted to say, uh, sort of as a disclaimer, Yoshiko is a very prominent Joshi wrestler in many different companies in Seedling, as we'll talk about in a minute. She has this big match in Diana. She sometimes wrestles in DDT. She sometimes wrestles in Oz Academy. So we will be covering her. Uh, it's not any comment on what happened, but just the fact that we are trying to cover the world of Joshi wrestling, and she is a prominent Joshi wrestler. So that's that. That's sort of the disclaimer, um, episode two disclaimer on Yoshiko, because I know that there's many people who rightly feel very strongly about what she's done in the past. That was a very sensitive <laughs> handling of... <laughs> Of Yoshiko and the ghastly match, so very. Funny. It's a very sensitive. Uh, <laughs> it's a sensitive subject. So, and I under and like I said, I understand where people come from on both sides, of you know both sides of opinions on how to deal with it now. So we understand we're not doing it out of any um, sort of hey we'll show you, but just that she is a prominent and in Japan well-received and well-liked wrestler, so we will be covering her, and we just wanted to say that. Well, all that having been said, we might as well talk about the match, the Yoshiko versus Sari match. What did you think about it? I thought it was really good. My thing about Yoshiko is I don't think she's really a... I don't think she's an outstanding singles wrestler. I think she's a lot better in tag matches um, and in a tag situation. I still thought the match was really good, as we'll hear, as we'll talk about in a few minutes. It's still one of my recommended matches. I think just because I really like Suri, I think that she's really great, uh, hard hitting. Obviously, there's some sort of bitter sweetness to this match, with it being her last match, her def, you know, her last match that we'll probably see before she goes away. Um, I loved her style, as I mentioned, I loved her last year, so I enjoyed the match. Uh, wasn't a super great match, but I still enjoyed it. Yeah, I think I went into this too excited, too worked up, and kind of uh, worked myself into a shoot. It did not live up to, to my lofty expectations just because I love Sari so much. I thought this was a perfect matchup for her. I mean, it is a perfect matchup. And it just, the, the start was hot, but then it just kind of got slow for me, I, presumably because they were going... 20 minutes and they knew it was going to go to a draw. But uh, by the time it picked up and this, this is a, a pattern on this show and you'll hear this from me in the future. It's like when you lose me in a wrestling match, you just lose me and I'm just not invested anymore. So even if it gets better later, I really don't care. <laughs> yeah. I think Yoshiko has that problem where the middle of her matches tend to sometimes lull as she sort of has the beginning that, you know, you start out hot, boom, 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 and it's hard hitting. And then there's the middle, especially with it being a 20-minute uh, draw, which I have actually more to talk about in a second. But she does sometimes get lost in the middle of her matches where it can't keep up that intensity that she has, so it goes into a lull and then has to build back up. So I see what you mean. Uh, I do want to mention, I sort of understand going to a draw, but Seri, you're heading, you know... You're heading out of the company. Who knows if you'll ever return? I mean, she is very young at this point, so she could do 10 years in WWE and come back and still be in her early 30s. Um, I was just a bit confused by going to a draw. It didn't seem to really help either of them. Um, 
Sari going out. Just a bit confusing to me, I guess, at the end of the day. And this is one of your recommended matches. I, don't, I haven't heard you say much good about it. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I still thought it was really good because I liked a lot of the action. Um, but not a per, you know, it's not a perfect match. And I think it's a very strong match. But Sari spent all of last year having some of the best, I would say some of the best matches, period. Not even just in Joshi, having some of the best matches. So as you mentioned, the standards for her, in my mind, are very high. It didn't meet those standards, but still very good because I think that she's one of the best Joshi wrestlers in the world. Yeah, I voted her uh, wrestler of the year in the the VOW poll. I thought she was the best wrestler in the world last year. So no disagreement for me. Okay, a couple of shows that I did not check out, so I'm going to leave them to you. Uh, the So there was a wave show on uh, March 1st, 3-1, NAMI 1. Don't have a lot to say about this. Uh, wasn't a big, um, wasn't a big match in terms of happening. There was a Queen Elizabeth title match, which Sakura Hirota is the champion, her first singles title of her career that she's ever held. There was also a semi-main of Nozaki and Aroha versus Miyuki Takase and Suri, which was building to the. Uh, Nosaki Takase match, which we'll talk about in a few minutes here, which I also thought was fun. Uh, but nothing on this show to go out of your way about. Um, and then also on March 1st, uh, Pure J had Spring Fight Osaka at the Osaka uh, Yodagawa Kumin Center, which actually reminded me they have a painting in the background um, on the back wall, reminded me of there was a uh, a venue where Chikara used to run where there was a painting on one of the walls and there was some match where someone tried to throw uh, Chuck Taylor into the painting or something like that. So that unrelated to really anything that's going on, but that reminded me of that. Uh, things to check out. I thought the main event of this Pure J show was really good. Leon and Manami Katsu against Hanako Nakamori and Rina Yamashita. Thought that match was really great, worth a check out. And also Maya Yukihi had a match against Correa, one of those rookies we talked about being in the rookie tournament. I believe unless my um, unless I am incorrect or I have my facts wrong, that this is only Maya Yukihi's second match ever in Pure J. I thought it was a really fun match. I thought she did very well. So also worth a check out. This show is on the Pure J YouTube, so it can be checked out very easily. Each of the matches is divided into their own video. So you don't have to do any fast-forwarding or rewinding if you only want to watch certain matches. But I would say definitely check this show out. It's, it's uh, worth a watch. Okay, next up was the Sendai Girls March 8th show. And this was... It was kind of your classic Sendai Girls show in that it had a really good like kind of rookie or you know young wrestlers opener. It had a... Uh, an Iger Sakura Hirota match that I did not watch and will never watch. And then everything else on it was really good. And it had one excellent match. I think like Sendai girl shows are so watchable for me. I just really enjoy this promotion. Uh, but the, the best match on here for me was the Sendai girls world title match. Chiro Hashimoto versus Shuri. Chiro uh, won, retained the title. And, I just I thought it was an excellent match. It was one that I really enjoyed. I'm a big fan of both of these wrestlers. You had 
great arm work early on that paid off. Uh, this was Shuri doing the arm work on Chiro, and it really paid off at the end with Shuri looking like she could have gotten a submission. And they even included the story from the January 5th match. So I was at that match live, and anybody who says that that was a work is is dumb. They are clueless. Seriously. I mean, it's insane. What, an, what a terrible take. Uh, it was a five-minute match. You know, it's not like Sendai Girls runs Tokyo every weekend. They have to do business in Tokyo. You can't run a five-minute main event for people who paid 50 bucks to watch this match. You just can't do it. People were confused walking out. And it's not like when this match started, it was this hot, like, Jiro trying to get back at her because she knocked her out. You know, that wasn't at all what this match was about. They had it play in later in the match where Shuri, after avoiding her head the entire match, finally lands a couple of kicks to the head and they kind of play like it knocked out Chiro. And uh, that was, I thought, a perfect little touch, a nice callback. It added to the escalation of the match. I thought the finish was a little bit abrupt, but I would rather err on ending the match too soon than letting it go on too long. So this was something I really liked. I had it at four stars. So I did watch the Hirota Iger match. Uh, I'm sorry. They, we do this show for free, and until somebody pays me, I will not watch any more Iger matches. Uh, actually, when it first started, I was like, oh, gosh. I think Hirota and Iger wrestled, I believe, nine singles matches l- last year alone, uh, which is a lot of matches. But I actually have to say, um, to defend this match... Adding Kaoru and Mesa Ruga really helped it. I thought it was a fun match. It got out of the sort of rut that these Hirota Iger singles matches get in where it's sort of the same. It's like a comedian coming out and doing the same bits over and over again in the same spot on the card. So I guess I'll throw out that sort of very weak defense of that match. I liked the main event as well. I wasn't as high on it as. Aaron was. I did think it ended abruptly, and I thought that that actually did hurt the match. I thought it was really heating up. I was getting really into it, and then it just sort of ended, and I was like, oh, okay. I thought Siri looked really good. Um, I thought that she really looked in the way that I was a fan of hers from before she left for UFC, and this really felt like sort of old-school Siri with the kicks. Um, Really tough kicks, a really hard battle from her. So I enjoyed it a little bit less than Aaron, uh, just because that ending, I would have liked to see it go a little bit longer. I will say this for Iger. Also, what I saw at that January 5th show is that you can't always tell this as much on Nico because, you know, the sound is muffled, but the crowd loved it. I mean, they ate up everything that she did, every bit she did. They just, uh, the love, now Kaoru was in that match too, but, uh, Everybody loved it. Actually, that might be wrong. I might be, have made the Karu part up. I think maybe she was in a tag match. Regardless, everybody loved it. So I'm the one who's wrong, and that's fine, but that doesn't mean I have to watch it. All right, next up we have here the, the Wave Show from March 11. Yeah, so this is a show that uh, I think I briefly mentioned it on our last show where there's been this Wave versus Marvelous Uh, sort of feud going on, and this was part of that where they had five uh, Marvelous wrestlers and five Wave wrestlers who did a draw to uh, 
pick five singles matches against each other. They had these chains that were multicolored and they hid them under a sheet. It was a very complicated way of choosing partners. Um, but I really like this. This is also, this is on Wave's YouTube channel. Most of the matches, actually, I think maybe all the matches are clipped um, to some extent. But this is very quick, and I think a lot of the matches are good. They're a lot of fun, and if you're looking for something really quick, I think in total, there's actually six matches on the show because there's a young wrestler tag opener. I think all the matches on the show in total total about 40 minutes of video time, not even in-ring time. This is just video time, so very easy to get through. Um, and I will talk about one of the matches when we get to the recommended matches because I thought it was really, really great. But definitely a show to check out. Very quick, easy to access because it's on the YouTube and, again, split into different matches. So very easy to hop around and just watch the matches that you're interested in. All right, and the last show that we have uh, listed here for the Spark Notes section is the Actress Girls show from March 15th. This was kind of similar. Well, not really. I, I Everything I was about to say is a lie. But it reminded me, in a way, of the Ice Ribbon 224 show and that everything was a lot of fun. The difference with this match or this show was there were two really excellent matches on the show for me. I really loved the uh, the Hanma Hasegawa match, Te Hanma versus Yoshiko Hasegawa, and I also loved the Actors Girls title match, which had Miyuki Takase versus Nagasa Nozaki. So those were, I feel like I, maybe I'm. Maybe I was just being really generous the last two days that when I watched a lot of this stuff. But I went four stars on both those matches. Uh, a lot of in the Hanma Hasegawa match, just like hard hitting and, and fast paced, which is what I like in wrestling. In the title match, you just had this great story of the heel dominating early on. You got the babyface comeback. I mean, it's like an easy story to do, but they did it well. Uh, Nozaki has such great kicks and does great character work inside the match in her moves, in her movements, in her emoting, just everything. Uh, and uh, uh, Takase was just great as a babyface. She, is it just me or does her like, is her look very similar to Sari's? Uh, yeah, I mean, they both sort of have the red and, um, you know, red, gold, white sort of sort of look. Yeah, I could see that. Even the like, I'm not sure what they're called, you know, on their on their costumes, but like on the bottoms, you know, the little like panels. Oh, yeah, are, yeah, yeah. Very similar to what Sari wears. But anyway, two really good matches, in my opinion. Well, I thought the main event was incredible. I went four and a half stars. I loved it. Ooh. I thought it was really good. You mentioned those kicks. There was two kicks in this match that I went nuts for. I actually went back and rewound a couple times because the kick happened, and I would go back and watch the kick again. Um, I just thought it was really good, really hard-hitting. Um, as you mentioned, a great story. I just loved it. To me, it's an absolutely seek out this match. Um, maybe the first match since we started this podcast where I'm saying to the listeners, go out and find this match. It's totally worth it. A totally great match. But I definitely agree. The whole show is super fun, um, easy to get through. I think part of it also is that, you know, there's a lot of sharing of talent between um, the different promotions. So some promotions you may end up seeing sort of very similar uh, wrestlers from show to show. There's a lot of wrestlers on this show that you will not see in on other shows. 
Some you will, a few you will, obviously. Uh, Miko uh, Uno, uh, we talked about Momo Tani was on the Pure J show I mentioned earlier, but a lot of wrestlers that you can only see here, so definitely uh, worth checking out um, the whole show, but definitely seek out that main event. I think we talked about almost all of our recommended matches. I see a few on, on your list that you did, but you want to run down your recommended matches from the last two weeks? Sure. So uh, Yoshiko versus Seri from Diana. We already talked about that. One which sort of isn't in the last two-week period, but is a match that I watched in the last two weeks, is uh, Lulu Pencil and Tamura versus tr- the tag team of Tropica Wild, which is Saki and Yuna Mizumori in Gato Move uh, on January 25th. We haven't yet on this podcast had an opportunity to talk too much about Gato Move um, but we will in the future, but this is a match. Go to their YouTube, the Gato Move YouTube. You can find it very easily. They upload matches twice a week. Uh, very easy to watch, but this match is really great. I think uh, Gato Move has the reputation of being more of a sort of comedy promotion. You know, they wrestle in this converted dentist uh, office, which is a bit weird. I think people see that and immediately think that this is some goofy thing. But I think that this match, which I just mentioned, is a really good display of how good a lot of these wrestlers are technically. It's a really strong technical match. It builds really well to the finish. So definitely check that out. Uh, Miyuki Takase versus Nagisa Nosaki. We just talked about that from Actress Girls. Definitely search that out. And Maya Yukihi versus Haragi Karumi from Ice Ribbon, which we already covered. And then finally, from that wave um, title, uh, from that wave show that we talked about with the Marvelous versus Wave, uh, five singles matches on 311, Yumi Oka versus Mei Hoshizuki. Uh, It's a little bit clipped. It's about a nine-minute match, and they only show about six minutes of it. But it is the six minutes they show is really good. It's really fast-paced. It's go, go, go. It's really exciting. Meiho Shizuki, to me, out of all the rookies uh, in Joshi currently, is the one to watch. I think she's already showing a lot of big-time skill. So definitely check that out. All right, I'll run down mine. Basically, the point of this is our whole idea is to cover all of Joshi and to let people who want to follow Joshi have like somewhere you can come to get a little bit of everything and know what to watch and what you can skip and everything. So we just kind of throw in these recommended matches. It just happens that on this episode, most of them that we're going to talk about, we've already talked about, but that's okay. That's how it's going to happen sometimes. And we can probably put these lists together somewhere and tweet them out or, or whatever uh, to make it easier for people. But my recommended matches, we talked about all of them, but it's uh, Chihiro Hashimoto versus Shuri from the 3-8 Sendai Girls show. Tsukasa Fujimoto versus Suzu Suzuki from the 3-15 Ice Ribbon show. And the two I've talked about most recently from the 3-15 Actress Girls show. Tehanma versus Yoshiko Hasegawa and Miyuke Takase versus Nagasa Nozaki. So I uh, highly uh, suggest that everyone check all those out. So next, it's time, our last segment of the show, is to talk about what's going to be coming up soon, both what's going to be airing soon and what's just going to be happening soon. So if you missed the first episode, if you're not that familiar, Joshi can can often have a long lag time between when the show happens 
and when it actually makes tape. That's been less common right now because Joshi is most of the wrestling that's been running, <laughs> but uh, that's going to change soon. It looks like everybody's opening back up. But we got some stuff that's coming up soon. Uh, the first airing that we have listed here is the Tokyo Joshi jo- Tokyo Joshi Pro, which happened on March 21, and it's going to air on DDT Universe on March 24th. The big match from this show is Miyu Yamashita versus Natsumi Maki. They've been having a little um, series of matches. What This is the fourth match in the series, I believe. Yeah, I believe it's the third or the fourth, and uh, Yamashita's won. Yamashita's won every match, so Maki is trying to get her first victory of of the battle. And then there is a zero one show that happened on February twenty fourth, but it's going to air on Nico Pro on March twenty sixth, and it includes zero uh, one is not a Joshi promotion, but it does include Arisa Nakajima versus Yoshiko versus Asuka. And the Blast Queen title match. We got Mayumi Ozaki and Saori hmm, Ano, who we talked about earlier, taking on Asha Kong and Hiroyo Matsumoto. Yeah, that one's going to be really exciting if you've never seen a Blast title match. Uh, it does involve Blast, literal explosions in the match. Uh, Ozaki and Matsumoto had one at the Big Oz Academy show last year, which was one of my top Uh, matches of the year for last year so this one it'll be a lot of fun definitely very different than a lot of other joshi going on today and lastly we've got a seedling show that happened on march 10th it's airing on nico on march 27th and i've really been looking forward to this beyond the sea title match it's arisa nakajima taking on rina yamashita yeah this is going to be a big one one that we definitely will discuss on the next episode of this podcast a lot of things, uh, obviously the show happened now almost two weeks ago, so sort of the spoilers are out there. A lot of things happened on this show that are going to set up uh, probably the next few months of Seedling's stories. So there's going to be a lot to talk about and also probably some very good matches on the show. Yeah, we'll try not to spoil the shows that haven't aired yet unless it's just too big of a news item to ignore, I think. I mean... That seems like the best way to approach it. Yeah, I think so. Or if there's some show, you know, sometimes shows do air out of order. Um, uh, One show will make air and then the show that happened, you know, five days before. This happens a lot, actually, with like Sendai Girls will sometimes do this, where a show will make tape and then the show from the week before will make tape the week after, uh, which is a bit weird. So, but yes, we will try our best uh, to avoid any spoilers here on this podcast, just so you can go in with uh, fresh eyes. And then the upcoming shows that haven't even occurred yet, Seedling on March 23rd will be at Shinkiba First Ring. Uh, that's going to have the best friends versus Mimi Shimoda and Asuka and Yoshiko Gun taking on Max Voltage. So this is going to be the first show, as I mentioned, that Corican show for Seedling is setting up a lot of um, sort of what is coming up in the next uh, the next little while, maybe the next few months for Seedling. And this is the first show where we're going to sort of see the new battle lines being drawn um, between between the different wrestlers. I don't know why I said gun there, obviously. Yoshiko Goon taking on Max Voltage. <laughs> an ongoing story on this podcast will be pronunciations of things. 
Your credibility is now shot. I know. I, I just know some people turn this off after hearing me say that. Uh, start on, on March 24th, the Cinderella Tournament, which we talked about at the top of the show. Tokyo Joshi Pro on March 28th is going to be running a princess tag team title match with Rika Tatsumi and Miyu Watanabe taking on Maki Ito and Raku. So continuing this story with Raku teaming up with Maki Ito, getting her first win and, you know, just moving to the side of, of Maki. Yeah, it should be a good match. I think Rika and Miyu are a great um, team as well. So I'm definitely looking forward to this match. Should be should be fun to watch. I've just kind of always enjoyed that you have the the team or the whatever the group of the of uh, Miyu Anabe Raku. I wish I hadn't started saying all this because now I can't think of any of the words that I need to have to say. But the uh, what's the name of their group? Matt SDL has turned off the show at this point, just to be clear. Oh, I, um, yeah, I, the, the team names are not, that's not my, no, they're, they're group, they're idol group, up, up girls. Oh, up, up girls. Yeah. I was like, I thought you meant Ido and Raku's team name. And I was like, yeah, the up, up Up, girls. girls. I couldn't come up with that, but I just, I love that the up, up girls just like wrestle each other all the time. It's just common. It's all about competition. It is. It is. That's the that's the thread through all the podcasts I've ever done. Competition. Okay, Sendai Girls on March 28th will be running the rookie tournament that we previewed earlier. Ice Ribbon's going to be back at Corquin Hall on March 29th. Uh, whenever that airs, we will certainly talk about it. And the last match we got listed here for upcoming uh, on March 30th, Marvelous will be running Shinkiba First String. Exciting stuff. Very exciting stuff. I mean, I don't... We probably could do this show weekly, to be honest, but it's just a lot of work and a lot of content. But it really packs up over two weeks of, like, the next stuff to talk about. Yeah, it really does. I mean, even... you know, I was sort of finding, especially with the, you know, there's Nico, there's Samurai, and then there's also the YouTube channels where a lot of promotions are dropping uh, shows that aren't technically making tape on either of the actual, you know, streaming services or TV outlets. So, yeah, there's a, a, a always a lot going on. And, you know, it's been sort of a break for a lot of the men's promotions in Japan, but hasn't been the same for the Joshi promotions. All right, anything else that you think we need to talk about before we go, Taylor? I think we about covered it all. Okay, well, before we get out of here, I just want to remind everyone to follow us on Twitter at Audio. We'd really appreciate that, and we will help to keep you updated on everything that's going on in the world of Joshi. You can find me at Aaron Like the Car. You can find Taylor at T-A Mambo, M-A-I-M-B-O. Make sure you're subscribing to the show, rating and reviewing, and... As I said earlier, if you're feeling generous, you can donate to the show at redcircle.com slash shows slash jumping dash bomb dash audio. So two weeks from now, we'll be back. We look forward to seeing you then. Uh, For Taylor, I'm Aaron. We'll see you next time.